college, somebody introduced me to Oswald Chambers' uh, My Utmost for His Highest. I remember when I read this from those pages. God engineers our circumstances. God engineers our circumstances, as he did for his son. All we have to do is follow where he places us. The majority of us are trying to place ourselves. God engineers our circumstances. That means if we're going to learn to live above the circumstances, then we must embrace the fact that God is always at work in our circumstances. From the Word of God, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, the first part, the first part of the healing of the blind man, second part, we won't we won't be reading today. The second part is sort of the investigation of that. First part, healing the blind man, John 9. Follow along, if you would, in your Bibles or on the screens. Hear God's word this morning. As he passed by, he saw a man, man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. He was blind when he met Jesus. May God open our eyes this morning as we reflect on his word. Let's pray. God instruct not only our minds this morning, but our hearts to change them, that we may lead changed lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Author Howard Hendricks tells a story about being at work and watching a man walk in day after day. He would ask him, a new, new worker, ask him, how are you doing? And the man would say to him, oh, I'm not, not doing too badly under the circumstances. Ask him the next day, hey, how are you? Good to see you. How are you doing? Oh, not bad under the circumstances. And he thought to himself, well, you know, everybody has a bad day. Maybe he's having a bad week. Well, after three or four or five days of this, he asked him again. He said, yeah, how are you doing this morning? He said, well, not bad under the circumstances. And Howard Hendricks got a little frustrated with him. And he said, well, what are you doing under there? You know, we can all have a bad day. But how important is it that we learn 
that God is always at work in our circumstances. How can we be confident that God is always at work in our circumstances? How can we be confident? Well, because he's in there in the dark. And he's always at work when it's light. Let's take a look at the dark and the light theme in, this, in the scriptures here. The blind man, the darkness of the blindness. And Jesus declaring that he himself is the light. We can always be confident that God is at work in our circumstances. Because, because he uses the dark to reveal the stars. God uses the dark to reveal the stars. Have you noticed that? Hard to see the stars without the darkness. He uses the dark. He's present, in other words, when we're waiting for circumstances to change. When we're waiting, when we're asking, when we're pleading, when we're asking, seeking, knocking, knocking, knocking. He's present at work in the dark to reveal something more, something bigger, something higher, something greater, a bigger, greater perspective. He uses the dark to reveal the stars. Verse 3, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man was a man. He wasn't a boy. He wasn't a child. He wasn't an infant. He had lived, who knows how long, blind. That's a long time to live under the circumstances. It's a long time to live under the circumstances. He'd grown up, not seen, not being able to see. And a lot of times what we think of is, okay, I don't like these circumstances, I'm blind, and so what is the purpose? And we can't see a purpose, then we decide, well, we're the measure, and so if we can't see a, a purpose in it, there must be no purpose. And so what do we do? We turn and we try to blame. That's what we do. When we can't see a purpose, we decide, and we can't fix the problem, we decide to fix blame. Isn't it true? It's human nature. We want there to be purpose. And when there isn't one, we decide to find something or someone to blame. This is, this is what the debate in the middle of this, uh, this whole healing uh, episode is, who sinned? The idea here is, uh, you know, if, if there's something bad, if there are bad circumstances and we don't see any purpose in it, then we've got to find a reason for it. So we try to find something to blame. We try to balance the account, right? We have this need, inbuilt need, to see things in balance. Well, that's interesting. And so they, they're asking, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? And Jesus is questioning the, presence, the premise of it. He's saying neither one, neither one. You say, well, we don't think that way. I mean, that's called karma. We used to joke about that when we were kids. You know, if somebody's harassing somebody else and they go and they trip and fall, they spill something, you say, instant karma, right? You know, payback. And this was the worldview of the time. You see this in the sound of music, right? Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. Somewhere in my childhood, I must have done something good, right? The idea that if... If circumstances are favorable, then it must be owed to me because I did something good. Or if circumstances are unfavorable, then it must be 
I, I can trace that back to something bad that I did. But the assurance that we get here is that God isn't, isn't up there just going tit for tat. That when something bad happens, you don't have to question whether God is punishing you. That everything he does, he does for good. Everything, John Newton said it like this. He said, everything is necessary that God sends. Everything that God sends is necessary. And he goes on, he says, nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Well, what about this man born blind? He couldn't find the purpose in it. Even the people around him were saying somehow he was a sinner. They were looking for someone to blame. But in the midst of the circumstances, now that we see the, the story looking backwards, you can see there's purpose in it. And let's look at another person who was born blind, who didn't receive her physical sight, but learned to live above the circumstances because she found God in the midst of her circumstances, in the circumstances. Of course, I'm talking about Helen Keller. Let me read to you just a, a few of her quotations. A few quotations from Helen Keller. She said this, The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or ever touched. They must be felt with a heart. She also said this, Although the world is full of suffering, it's also full of overcoming it. And she said, if there were only joy in the world, then we could never learn to be brave or patient. Ah, the waiting, the waiting of this man. He needed Helen Keller. Well, Helen Keller had somebody walking alongside her, Ann Sullivan. I think it was probably and that she was referring to when Helen Keller said this, walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. God uses the darkness to reveal the stars. He really does. How amazing it is that somebody would express not just those sentiments, but the bigger, grander picture of human life that some people never find because they're too busy looking with their eyes for the purpose in it that we can measure, that we can taste and touch and feel. And if we're not the measure of it, then it must not exist. No. Helen Keller is pointing us to something greater and bigger. So is Jesus. Isaiah 42 says this, written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus walked. I will give you as a covenant people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, the, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. New things I now declare. Jesus came to declare new things. And, you know, it may be your faith, your, your view of the stars in dark times that other people read. It may be your response to dark times, your faithful response, your discovery of the bigger picture that opens somebody else's eyes. This past weekend, I, I ran into someone from the, the former church I served, Signal Mountain. 
Stokes, Stokes Smith. And um, Stokes and um, his family lost a son a couple of years ago in the summertime. First time I had seen him. I'm, I'm praying for their family pretty regularly. And, 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 and of course, uh, on that July date every year. First time I got to give him a big hug. But I brought that up not to tell you about their loss, but about their other child, Francis Ann. I was, when, when Beth was sick and we went back up to Signal Mountain, I was worried that Francis Ann wouldn't remember me. Francis Ann has Down syndrome, and she always gave me a big hug after every service. And um, at the end of the worship service we went to, she came up and she found me and she remembered me. Uh, just a bundle of joy. Just one of the most joyful people you'll ever meet. I've never met a family with a child with Down syndrome that wasn't gentled by that condition. There is a, a unique sparkle and gentleness in the circumstances because of the way that they have been stretched, because of the way that they have been turned, their eyes, the eyes of their heart turned to see the weight and worth even of broken human life. He uses the darkness to show us the stars. Not only that, we can trust God in our circumstances because he uses the light to show us his goodness. He uses the light to show us the goodness in ordinary moments, by ordinary means. God uses the things that we can see. What we can see, he uses the light. Ordinary things of this world, the things we can measure to show us his goodness. You've heard the parable. I'm sure every one of you has heard this parable of the guy who's, who's in the floodwaters and a Jeep comes along and says, uh, you know, come jump on the Jeep. You know, you're in, you're in, you're in peril. And uh, he says, no, God will save me. And uh, a, a boat comes by. The waters are rising. A boat comes by now where the Jeep had driven and says, jump on the boat. You know, you're in peril. And says, no, no, God will save me. Well, a helicopter comes and, uh, and he's up on the roof at this point. And he says, jump on the, jump on the helicopter. We, uh, you know, you're in peril. He says, no, God will save me. And he dies. It's usually told about somebody very spiritual, right? Somebody very, very spiritual. Saying that with irony, right? And the, the punchline of the story, of course, is that he's greeted in heaven by an angel. And he says, what's the deal? You know, I prayed that God would save me. And the angel says, you know, I, I sent you a jeep and a boat and a helicopter. So often, so often we're looking for something supernatural. And God is providing something ordinary. Now, Jesus didn't have to use mud and spit. He, with the paralytic, he just said the word. With the centurion's son, he just said the word. But neither did he bring a lightning bolt. Why did he use the stuff of this earth? It, it, it seems to me that Jesus is saying something about who he is. How were we put together in the first place? From dust we came, to dust we shall return. God brought 
us up out of the things that he had made. God created humankind. Genesis 2-7. From the dust of this earth. How amazing is it that Jesus, what's the bigger thing that he's saying? He's saying, you're ordinary, but you are extraordinary. You're broken, but you have a future. Things aren't quite the way that they should be, but there is a promise. And the world is full of wonders. Listen to what Francis Collins, who is the head of the Human Genome Project, he oversaw the, the, the mapping of the human genome. He said this, Will we turn our backs on science because it is perceived as a threat to God, abandoning all the promise of advancing our understanding of nature and applying that to the alleviation of suffering at the, and the betterment of humankind? Alternatively, see, Francis Collins was a man of God, not just spiritual, not just spiritual, but he saw the weight and worth of human life, even in the mud. He says this, Alternatively, will we, will we turn our backs on faith, concluding that science has rendered the spiritual life no longer necessary and that traditional religious symbols can now be replaced by engravings of the double helix on our altars? Both of these choices are profoundly dangerous, the either-or choice. Both deny the truth. Both will diminish the nobility of humankind. Both will be devastating to our future, and both are unnecessary. See, he's saying science and faith are not in conflict. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is in our circumstances. God will save me. And here that you discover God. This rather crude and unspiritual, ordinary meal, to that you're the ones that you want to escape. And in your suffering, life all the way, and we pray.